Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining. I, um, I'm getting uh, Commissioner, Commissioner Brendan Carr into the room, so we'll just um, wait for him to get into the room and then we'll start. Commissioner Carr, you might have to unmute yourself to, to speak. Yeah, great to join you. Thanks so much. No, thanks for coming on. Um, this was um, kind of whipped up last minute because of uh, a mutual friend. And it's super timely because uh, both of us have been posting things about Cuba. <laughs> so I, I think uh, and a lot of stuff going on in Cuba. So I hear. So I think this should be uh, an interesting conversation. Absolutely. Well, obviously, to start, I've been a huge fan of uh, your work and, uh, and your writing. So, so thanks for the opportunity to do this. Uh, I mean, look, I think the, the general issue doesn't need any introduction. I think this is a moment in history that we just cannot let us pass by. You know, increasingly, we have uh, dictatorial regimes across the globe. And the very first thing they do at the first signs of push for freedom is to shut down the Internet. Now, in Cuba, it's not a complete shut down right now. They're focusing on certain applications um, and they aren't as sophisticated necessarily and they're blocking as perhaps, you know, they would be in, um, in communist China. But the ability to get pictures and videos out of what is taking place uh, just 90 miles from the U.S. is a powerful, powerful development. Just think about the U.S. and what it has meant when we have cell phone video of various movements taking place here. It, it's a game changer in terms of putting energy and attention behind those movements. And there's really nothing that, um, you know, brutal dictatorial regimes like less than having a bright light uh, shine on what they are doing. And that's the power of the internet in videos and pictures. And so I think it's incumbent on us to do everything we can to back um, those efforts. And we have the technological capacity to do it. So happy to talk a little bit either yeah. at a high level or get, you know, more specific on some of the, the different technologies that are out there. No, I, I absolutely want to get to that. Um, I will say, I think a small introduction might be worthwhile because in, um, in you know, 20 plus years of being uh, a Cuban-American uh, sort of exile type in the United States and trying to explain Cuba to Americans or just trying to explain the nature of how the internet works in Cuba, I found that Cuba is one of these topics that people find super interesting, but it's typically poorly understood just because totalitarian societies like Cuba are so exotic. And I think mm. people in the West have never had an experience of it. Can I maybe just give maybe like a, three to five minute introduction of how the internet kind of works and doesn't work in Cuba, just to set, I think, uh, you know, basic knowledge great. for everyone in the room. Yeah. Yep. Okay, great. So, you know, just broadly, as I, as I think I mentioned, you know, Cuba is this anachronism, right? It is, it is this communist one party state, right? And, you know, we use terms like totalitarian and we don't quite understand what it means, right? It, the, the, the Cuban communist party is a totalizing presence on the island, right? Like they're, there's no individual, there's no civil society outside of the state or the party, right? And there isn't much in the way of private property, right? There, the world, you know, Cuba as it is today would be unrecognizable to most people in this room, right? In the sense that there, there's no political party that's actually legal of any size that's outside the Communist Party. Um, it was only very recently that the state actually authorized private entrepreneurship. It's called Cuenta Propista. It's basically what we would call a sole proprietorship. 
which is really the only form of, of any sort of private capitalism or entrepreneurship on the island. There isn't conventional banking. There's actually two currencies, the internal currency, which is basically worthless, which is what you get paid in. And there's the convertible currency, which you would see as a tourist or that the government accepts from foreign investors to then pay the internal population in basically monopoly money. It's just, it's a very strange, there, you know, there isn't like, convent, even outside, the other thing I'll mention, by the way, so there's that. And then the other thing I'll mention is that even though it's, it's completely a throwback to Soviet era sort of economics, Cuba, I mean, despite the rhetoric around the supposed blockade and the embargo and whatnot, Cuba trades with the entire world. Um, and, and even to a certain extent, even the United States, actually, under Obama, they actually bought food from the United States and stuff. So it's, it's not that Cuba doesn't trade with the world or that people talk about it as if there's like a naval blockade around the island, which is not true at all. Cuba trades with Mexico, Canada, Europe, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But you just you don't see that. And, and to the, the degree that there is foreign investment, I stayed in a hotel, for example, that was run by a Spanish hotel chain. The Spanish hotel chain does not own that hotel. They lease it. And they basically do a rev share with the government and that's it. They don't own anything, right? There's no conventional, even outside investment isn't at all as, as we would recognize. There's no stores there. If we lifted the embargo, there was, there's not going to be a McDonald's on the Paseo de Prado. There, there's no, there's, you know, there's no European version of that at all. Like none of that exists. Okay. Just to set level set on like what the economy is. So let's, let's talk about specifically the internet for a second. Um, as you would imagine in such a world, it's very backwards from the telecoms and internet sort of point of view. Up until 2008, phones, you know, portable phones were actually illegal in Cuba. There was an American named Alan Gross who actually got arrested and spent years in jail because he brought in phones and gave them to Cubans, which at the time that was like illegal contraband. Um, obviously, attitudes have shifted somewhat. Phones were, um, were um, you know, legalized, but the internet side of things is still in a very basic state. Let me just summarize for everybody how the internet works now. Um, and, and, and this is a total self-plug, but, you know, there isn't a lot of media about it, so I'll just go ahead and say it. In 2017, I wrote a Wired story called Cuba's DIY Internet Revolution um, that kind of gets into a lot more of the detail. But the short version is the way that most Cubans access the Internet now is through public Wi-Fi hotspots in, in public, I mean, like open public squares, right, in a few public squares, not even all of them. And the way you get Internet service, um, which is controlled in a monopoly by Adexa, which is the... I mean, again, the state, it's a totalizing presence. There's no private internet. There's no private telecoms or anything. And it's very expensive to, to get one of these little scratch off cards with a code, which is we have to enter. At the time in 2017, cost about $4, at least for an outsider, which when you consider the average Cuban wage in, in their funny money converted to us is like $20, $30 a month, it's a fortune, right? And so the use of the internet isn't, isn't very well spread and it's typically only on mobile. Um, and, and there was no 4G or 3G or any sort of mobile data until I think it was 2018 that they made it legal. Even then, the speeds were very low, very expensive. And, it, you know, it's not the adoption curve has been very, very slow. As a result, as, as a reaction to that, just to, to mention how crazy it is, people completely freak, freak out when I tell them this. But in Cuba, given these limitations, the Internet is often a physical medium since people typically don't have Internet at home. And the Internet they have is of, of bad and a very short duration and only mobile in a public park. How do they watch Netflix or whatever? Well, believe it or not, there's what's called a paquete, the package. There are people who basically download a week's worth of the Internet. Like imagine what you can consume on the Internet, like every Netflix show, Formula One, soccer, whatever. That actually gets copied onto like a one terabyte hard drive or a USB stick. And you go to a paquetero and you buy that. You pay like a dollar and you get a week's worth of Internet on physical media and you like carry it home, plug it into your junky little laptop. And that's how you get, quote unquote, online in Cuba. The reason I'm mentioning that is that, you know, it, 
it, <laughs> internet in Cuba is not the sort of dynamic, real-time, decentralized, everyone talks to everyone phenomenon that we expect here. It's often not that. Like you, you have to assume things are not going to be online, right? And so um, even though I was talking about the internet in Cuba in 2017, it really hasn't seen anything like our internet until very recently, right? Which again, to, to getting to, to Commissioner uh, Carr's point, this is a unique moment in time. You've had the biggest protests since probably the 90s. There was a so-called Malaconazo that was sort of like this, but this is bigger than that even. And at the same time, you have some Cubans finally having the sort of quote unquote black mirror in our pocket, right? The same sort of networked mobile computing device, right? Everybody's eyes in our pocket that we just have sort of lived with, right? That's novel in Cuba. That's never been seen before. It's like I, in my post that I, I maybe Commissioner Carr mentioned on my, on my Substack, you know, you see images coming out of Cuba of like that phalanx of like raised hands with phones in them pointed at like the security people when they like beat up a protester and drag them to a car. Like we're just used to that being like an element of our civil society that's never been seen in Cuba before. Right. So all the video you see coming out of Cuba, all the stuff I've posted that was all there before, just like, you know, police brutality in the U.S. was there before. You just never saw it. Right. And certainly Cubans never got those images to the outside world or even saw it amongst themselves. Tony, I'll stop. I'll shut up there because obviously the, our guest here is, is the focus. But that's kind of the nature of the Internet. And, and again, to highlight what you said, again, it's a unique moment in time in which you have massive protests from the biggest scene in, in, in the longest time. And you have Cuba going from like zero to 100 miles per hour when it comes to like phone and mobile technology happening at once. Unless, of course, they block it, which is what this conversation is about. This is one of the big problems. right? Cubans are amazing at being super resourceful and hacking all sorts of stuff. But the government at the end of the day can just turn the internet off. And it's an island that's 90 miles from Key West and that, that's it, right? And so the question that, that you know, presents itself to us is what do we do about that? And at that point, I'll, I'll turn it over back to you, Commissioner Carr. Thanks uh, so much for providing that, that context. You know, so one other analogy that I'll, that I'll start with as well is, you know, we have long had a government agency, the Office of Cuba Broadcasting. It's under the US uh, Agency for Global Media. Uh, Radio uh, Marti is one of their operations. And I had a chance uh, this morning when I was in Miami to visit Radio Marti. And for decades, they have broadcast uh, content into uh, Cuba. Uh, radio content, shortwave radio. They have operations in uh, Marathon. They broadcast there actually from uh, one of the Carolinas they broadcast from as well. Cuba has long taken the position that the broadcast of content into Cuba from uh, Radio Marti is a violation of Cuba law. Uh, some officials at international bodies like the ITU have similarly taken the position that uh, that is a violation of international law. We in the U.S. government tell them to pound sand with respect to that. So I think if we start with that understanding, which is we have long sent transmissions, airwaves into Cuba, contrary to Cuba's wishes, that that gives some precedent for what it is that I'm going to talk about here. Now, Cuba tries hard to block that content. In fact, the television signals from Radio Marti, they've largely stopped doing that because there's been fairly effective blocking technologies of the TV signals. But they continue to send radio signals into Cuba uh, because you know, Cuba's had a harder time blocking that. Um, so that's sort of the, the concept. Now, can, can I share an anecdote there, Commissioner Carter? Yeah. For one second. People might find it amusing. Um, I, I'm glad you're highlighting Radio Marti. That was a program I think started in the 80s under Reagan, and it's been there for a while. It's one of these things that people, everyone from Miami knows about it. But again, I'm glad you bring it up because I think everyone here may not know about it. And as you said, one of the things that the government does is block those frequencies, not just Radio Marti, but actually even Miami radio stations that with a big enough antenna you can actually get from Cuba. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, an anecdote from my childhood. We were on a car trip 
headed north around Orlando or something, listening, you know, flipping through the dial, listening ra random stuff. And suddenly we hear Radio Rebelde, Rebel Radio, which is Cuba State Radio in like the middle of Central Florida. We're trying to figure out how the hell is that possible? And then we realize <laughs> it's like, oh, they transmit. We had default like the Miami radio station. They transmit like blasting at however many watts, like they don't give a, you know, they don't care about the FCC <laughs> commissioner car, blasting at however many watts to drown out the Miami stations. And once we were away from Miami, we were actually picking up the Cuban stations, right? That they would try to overlap the, the, the Miami ones. And so anyhow, just as you bring up the good point that anything that the US government tries to do, the Cuban government's gonna try to block instantly, but I'll, I'll please continue. Right, so once you accept the, the proposition that, as we sort of talked about at the beginning, the minute that there is unrest in any country, particularly brutal dictatorial ones, the first thing that happens nowadays is the people bring out their smartphones. And uh, look, I a separate topic. I have had my fair share of, crit of criticism of a lot of the tech companies, but I'm not full bore what have uh, these tech companies done for us lately. There is a, a lot, obviously, uh, of good that has come from technology in terms of helping to shine a bright light on these movements and fights for freedom, whether you know it's Arab Spring, whether it's the Iranian protest. So once you accept the idea that the power of the internet uh, and the transparency that it brings uh, to those that are fighting for their God-given right uh, to pursue liberty, once you accept the value of that, then I think it's pretty easy to say we need to do something to bolster that. There's a lot of people putting pressure um, maybe pressure is not the right word, urging the Biden administration to show solidarity and stand up with the Cuban people. And people have put forward a range of options. Some politicians have said it's time for uh, a military options. So there's a range of options that have been put out there. What I say is um, boosting Internet connectivity is an effective, uh, uh, implementable, technologically capable way of showing solidarity and support for this movement that is short of some of those other ideas that have been uh, put out there. And so the way you do this is two tracks. Track one uh, is what I call an infrastructure track, and we can talk about that. That's in the main what I've been talking about the last couple of days. Track two is how do we uh, empower the Cuban people to get around the censorship and continue to use internet connectivity that is available still in the island. They've not shut off the internet entirely, as we talked about. They're mainly blocking applications. Uh, USAGM, uh, that government entity that I talked about earlier, has a technology that is public uh, called uh, Siphon, I believe it's P-S-I-P-H-O-N, that helps people get around some of these blocking technologies. So we need to bolster that effort. Um, what I've talked about that's sort of new to some extent this week was I had a trip already planned to go to uh, Florida this week. I was heading to the airport Tuesday night and I saw a story that Governor DeSantis had a roundtable and he called for beaming uh, internet connectivity into uh, Cuba. And this is something that I've had some experience with. And I'm going to walk through one way that you can do this. And the point of telling this story is not to say that we, we necessarily need to put all our eggs in this basket. It is to demonstrate that it is technologically possible. There may, in fact, be many other ways to do this, including from government entities that, uh, like the FCC, have three letters, but that I don't have as much insight into what it is that they do day-to-day uh, -day from a technology perspective. In fact, uh, former Secretary uh, Pompeo tweeted yesterday that the U.S. engaged in some activities to boost connectivity during Iranian protests that I'm not aware of and is not the technology that I'm talking about. So that table set, um, there is a company that was behind the efforts by Google Loon, um, which used these stratospheric uh, balloons in these platforms to provide 
connectivity. Now, Loon has um, uh, stopped operations, but the actual company that built and manufactured uh, the actual platforms and stratospheric balloons has not. The company still exists. Uh, Raven Industries is its name. I've visited their facilities in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I've been in uh, Nairobi, Kenya, where they did a deployment and seen their uh, platforms in operation there. And uh, the FCC has approved their operations in the wake of a hurricane that came through Puerto Rico to burst boost emergency connectivity there. Um, and so what I can tell you is the technological capacity to do this is there. And the way this particular one would work is you have stratospheric balloons that are um, way above uh, the, the altitude that airplanes fly. And they go up and down and they can stay relatively anchored in the same place because the way the winds work at the stratospheric level, you go up a little bit, they go west, you go down a little bit, they go east. And you can basically maintain within, you know, certain number of miles your location. Uh, so you can stay in international airspace over international water, uh, 20, 30 miles from Cuba, and you can go directly to a handset with either a 4G signal, potentially a Wi-Fi signal. And the upside is you don't necessarily need any other technology on the ground. Other technology out there like Starlink, people have said, well, why don't we, you know, get Starlink on there? Well, one, uh, the latitude that, um, that, that Cuba is at may be a challenge given where Starlink is in their network deployment. Two, you need these, you know, pizza box size dishes to operate. Um, uh, so those are some challenges. So this idea with um, the Raven Industries project is one that doesn't necessarily require new infrastructure on the ground. So you stay 15, 20, 30 miles um, off Cuba in a national airspace. And then they could potentially beam back to Marathon or Key West uh, for the backhaul portion. So this is a technology that works. It's one that we at the FCC, including then uh, Chairman Pai, uh, approved operations around uh, Puerto Rico. And like I said, I say that as to give you a very concrete example of one way that uh, this absolutely could work from a technical perspective. There's still logistics to be worked out, obviously. But again, I think there's other ways to do this as well. But once we get a public commitment from the administration that says we are behind this effort, I'm confident that these private sector entities can move heaven and earth and get this done uh, uh, quickly. Why do you need the federal government backing? One, as we talked about with Radio Marti, Cuba will view this as a violation of Cuba law. I don't care, but that is an issue. Uh, the pinheads at ITU will likely view this as a violation of international law. So we need to stand up the support of the federal government to do this. Potentially, this is delivered by the federal government using this technology that I talked about. But again, I give that just to give an example, not saying we need to put all the eggs in one basket. But if the federal government says we're behind this, I'm confident that whether it's this avenue or ones that I'm not aware of, even from other three-letter agencies, we can get this done from a technological perspective. And I was very heartened to see tonight that, that uh, President Biden did say at a press conference that they are looking at how to reestablish internet connectivity. I think this is a great bipartisan moment. I think Senator Menendez had talked about it. Uh, and again, today, I was at an event with Governor DeSantis, uh, Lieutenant Governor of Florida, uh, two members of Congress, drawing attention to this issue. The technology is there that can do it. And I think this is a great way that we can show support for the Cuban people that is far short uh, of some of the other interventionist ideas that have been put out there. Thanks for that. I, I noticed, by the way, you, you mentioned uh, former FCC chairman Ajit Pai. He's actually in the audience. So, um, you know, Mr. Pai, if you, if you want to come up, by all means, raise your hand and I'll, I'll invite you up as a speaker. I'm, I'm glad we have such a distinguished audience. Um, 
Yeah. And, and so, I mean, that, that would be amazing, right? Because again, that, that solves a major problem, which is that like at the end of the day, Cubans can just, Cubans can just, the, the Cuban government can just turn the internet off, right? So what they're doing now, the, I mean, there's another avenue, right? Which is kind of a hack, which is the, the VPN route, right? Which is the Cuban government doesn't know all the VPN, um, you know, addresses for every VPN in the world. Some of them actually intentionally shield themselves. In fact, the one that you mentioned, um, Commissioner Carr, I, my local contacts who are kind of in the underground internet mentioned that they were actually using it and that it works pretty well, actually. That would be another potential solution. But the, the solutions you're sketching out would be the real solutions. And, you know, the winners there, like ideally, there wouldn't have to be a hardware solution on the Cuban side because getting networked hardware into Cuba is difficult. As you mentioned, it's not just a question of like drop shipping a bunch of Starlinks into Cuba. It's just not going to work because they'll get found, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it would have to be some way for the average Cuban to be able to connect on your typical sort of mid to low market Android phone that is the most common phone in, in Cuba. Um, so yeah, um, so I guess, you know, I'm obviously not a creature of DC. Commissioner Carr, I really have no idea how that city works. Uh, oh, I, so hold on, former Chairman Pai actually just requested. Let me go ahead and add him a speaker. He probably has something to add here, let's see. Okay, I think he's connecting. There we go. Welcome to the panel, former uh, FCC Chairman Pai. Hey, it's great to be with you, and uh, nice to be with Commissioner Carr as well. You know, it took me a long time to walk out of the long shadow of Chairman Pai, and now I'm sucked quickly back uh, back under that uh, shadow. But it is it is fantastic to uh, to to have you uh, on as well. This, this is such an important issue, and and obviously your your leadership on some of these technologies was important. And again, I mentioned that one company. Um, but you know, again, there's a lot of other technologies that are, that are out there that can, that can get this done. Well, you're very kind, but you know, Commissioner Carr has really been leading the charge over the last uh, you know, 24 hours, last uh, you know, many months uh, on these issues and extending internet access, not just to American consumers, but to those around the world. And you know, I think he's highlighted very well, as have you, Antonio, that you know, really the information asymmetry is what allows some of these authoritarian dictatorships to really maintain their grip on power. And you know, once you introduce uh, information that's accessible over the internet, all sorts of the entropy that they can't control in a good way you know, starts to generate. And so I, I'm really optimistic about what he's doing and what the administration overall might be doing to help boost internet access. You know, over the last couple of hours, I've been retweeting some of the stuff I posted over the on Twitter over the last several years about internet access in Cuba. And it's really striking looking back that all of these green shoots were there, but the, the government there has just consistently uh, you know, stamped it out. And so I think, you know, as all of you know better than I do, this is a very unique moment in time. And so I hope we can meet that moment with the ability to allow Cubans to access the outside world electronically. Uh, so former Chairman, sorry, I don't know the correct honorific to use. I'm not enough of a DC person to even know. But um, in any case, are there any sort of previous experiences you'd like to share in terms of trying to get internet into Cuba or, you know, challenges faced either politically internally or technically or with the Cuban government itself or like, what's, what's it take to run internet to Cuba? <laughs> like in terms of the technical realities are obviously cool and I'd love to geek out about it with Commissioner Carr, but what are some of maybe the non-technical realities for that? That's a great question. Well, I mean, first and foremost, uh, you know, just the name is Ajit. I'm a civilian now. I'm not, uh, you know, no honorifics necessary, certainly not even when I was in office. But uh, uh, but, but I think uh, more importantly, secondly, it's, it's just a challenge because as uh, Commissioner Carr pointed out, you've got to be able to 
reach Cuban consumers in a way that is, number one, effective in the sense that, you know, the Cuban government can't immediately stamp out the connection. Number two, it doesn't require a lot of CPE or power or other things that Cuban consumers might have, uh, might not have access to. And especially if it's a wireline connection, I mean, then it becomes exceedingly difficult. I, I joined a little bit late, so I don't know if he pointed this out, but you know, the number of undersea cable landings in Cuba is relatively limited. And there's been a lot of talk over the years about, uh, you know, uh, laying more undersea cables throughout the Caribbean and using Cuba as a, a landing point. But that's always been fraught with peril just because, you know, the government, for obvious reasons, doesn't want to allow that. So you know, in, in terms of some of the political issues, uh, you know, I, I can't really speak to it in part because my experience within the ITU, which uh, Brendan, uh, which Commissioner Carr mentioned, um, and within other multilateral organizations, for example, there's one focused on the Caribbean, one focused on Latin America, and I participated in a lot in all of those fora, but Cuba was never present in any of them. And so it was sort of almost erased, if you will, from some of the policy discussions that I was privy to. Because when we were discussing connectivity, it was the countries surrounding Cuba that were most interested in promoting it. So unfortunately, I can't really shed a lot of light on that. As far as Washington goes, and I certainly hope the stars would align where you've got Senator Menendez and uh, you know, Senator Rubio and others, you know, both sides of the aisle, I think, agree on both the importance of connectivity and the importance of Cuban self-determination. So you know, hopefully this is a, another aspect of the unique moment of time that we're in. I'll simply add as well that uh, you know, several years ago, there was a very interesting project, I think it was called The Portals or something like that, and they set up these uh, essentially internet cafes, open internet cafes in various countries, Cuba, Kazakhstan, and others, and they allowed people in the United States uh, to participate in them. They set up a essentially a portal in the cities, Washington and New York, and I actually signed up about five, six years ago, and uh, the woman I ended up speaking with was in Cuba, and I very vividly remember thinking... Uh, you could tell by the way she was speaking that she was guarding her words. She wanted to express herself, but you know, she was holding back because I think she knew, obviously, that somebody might be watching. Uh, but secondly, you could just sense, and I don't want to extrapolate from the anecdote to make data, but you could sense that there's a huge aspiration for young people in Cuba to just make a better life for themselves and for future generations. And that the, they thought the internet and connection with the outside world was a part of that. So yeah, I certainly commend Commissioner Carr for his leadership and you know, Governor DeSantis and hopefully President Biden. I just uh, heard what Commissioner Carr said about the president uh, making those statements. And you know, the, the, I, th I think that enabling them to get access to information, even if it ruffles political feathers in multilateral fora or you know, some of our you know, bilateral relationships is worth it in this case. You know, and there's certainly there's certainly a, you know an urgency of now, right? This protest is going on now, and everyone wants to support them now. It, 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 but there's also, if you step back, and we need to focus on that. Um, this is a tool that we need in the toolkit because, again, this is the increasingly go-to move of, of brutal regimes around the world. As soon as there is pushback, um, they start to to turn the lights off on the internet. Um, now, historically, in terms of some of the political issues, there's been some bipartisan failure to provide support for U.S. AGM uh, in the Office of Cuba Broadcasting. Again, uh, for people that are new, it's where I was this morning, spent time uh, with their operation there in Miami. There were some budget cuts during the uh, Trump years. Before that, uh, they had started to use some interesting techniques, including looking at some satellite phones and some satellite-based connectivity and inserting that surreptitiously into Cuba. This is public reporting. I'm not uh, taking anything I've learned in a skiff and bringing it uh, out into this forum. 
And there was a pullback, at least according to some of the public reporting, I didn't track it at the time, during the end of the Obama administration because it was causing uh, relationship issues with uh, the U.S. government, Cuba, in their efforts to um, uh, sort of take another look at the relationships uh, between those two governments. So that effort was ended, uh, at least according to the, the reporting, under the guise of some of the efforts that were going on to revisit the relationship there. So I do think there's been some bipartisan failure to provide robust support for USAGM. And I don't know a ton about the organization um, uh, historically, so I don't want to go all in or not all in on that one entity. But the point being, politically, I, I think if you look at Radio Marti and what it's done in the past, that type of a model of providing greater government support um, to do the digital version, the today version, you know, broadcast was the way you spread news and information. Now it's the internet. So of course we need in our federal government arsenal, a way to stand up and insert internet connectivity in parts of this country, sorry, parts of the world where brutal dictators would work to shut it down. I mean, that sounds like an amazing vision, Commissioner Carr. It's like the it's like the voice of America during the Cold War, but it's sort of the the, the 4G edition version of that. Um, and I wanted to highlight one thing that um, Ajit said about um, you know Cubans speaking in fear. You know, one of my Substack posts um, shared a few of the anecdotes, um, which again I think I'd never really been inside a totalitarian society. I mean, I've traveled the world a lot, but it's living inside a police state is really kind of trippy, to be honest. <laughs> And um, the business of everyone living kind of in a web of lies and only speaking about a certain reality a certain way to one person and another one to another one. And everyone's scared that, uh, you know, for the informant or the sort of eavesdropping is really something that you can't really understand it until you've you've sort of experienced it. And um, and, you know, what, once you understand that, you, you understand the transformative nature of the Internet, the fact that like I even had people, uh, you know, I've got contacts who, you know, I, I, I text or signal and, um, you know, they're asking me for confirmation from, about things from the outside world. Cause of course, internally, it's never quite clear what is true and when is it. And, um, you know, as, uh, whoever it was that said sunlight is the best disinfectant, you know, the internet would actually be a bright ray of sunlight into Cuban civil society that it hasn't had in a very long time. Yeah, the other issue I'll, I'll, I'll touch on, you talked about some of the ways that can be done. Again, why do we need the federal government backing? I've talked about some of the international issues as to why that is, but also obviously there's going to be FAA approvals for this particular idea that I've, that I've, uh, that's been offered up there. There's an international version of FAA, um, FCC, uh, where, where I still work. Uh, there may be uh, special spectrum authorizations, which we call SCAs, potentially to enable that. Uh, DOD may need to be involved. Uh, State Department, given the international issues. That's why I think it's important that at the top we say, you know, we're behind this, uh, get the machinery of the government to help these technologies, whether it's this one I've talked about or others, uh, get get moving. And why, so uh, a guest sort of DM me a question, why, why wouldn't they do it? What would be the forces against it, right? In, in the case of the past, obviously there was a relationship to be maintained and that was a whole haggling process. And so they could squeeze concessions from the American side. But, you know, why wouldn't, to the, to the extent you can read the political tea, uh, tea leaves, Commissioner Carr, why, why wouldn't the, the, the Biden administration get behind it? Well, obviously, I think they, they should. You know, some of the early calls uh, behind this um, and in support of the movement uh, in Cuba, I, I think, again, I, I'm, I welcome Ajit or others with different uh, political perspectives on this to offer their view. It seemed, at least initially, that some of the, the first um, 
and most vocal echoes of support were coming from uh, Republicans on this one. But again, as, as, as um, Ajit pointed out, uh, Democrat Senator Menendez, uh, now Biden, th- I think there's increasing support for it. But, you know, I, I think there's a, a broader uh, discussion uh, different from uh, my pay grade at the FCC that can get into uh, Democrat and Republican politics when it comes to you know, Cuba generally or, or the, the fight for freedom. But I think, you know, really, if you see what's going on today, and, and to some extent, this is the power of internet connectivity. When you see the videos, when you see the photos, I think it unites us um, across the political aisle and puts us together as we have to do something. And we can disagree when it comes to um, some of the more uh, interventionist ideas that are out there. We can go to our traditional partisan corners on that stuff. But when it comes to providing internet connectivity, I think this is something that we can get behind. And when you move up the stack of interventionist actions, um, I think there's some more historical potential political or other views that might um, result in people reaching different conclusions on those. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, think it was, yeah. um, oh, sorry, I was just going to comment. It was, I think it was Mayor Suarez who mentioned, uh, you know, the military as a possible intervention and conventional Twitter went nuts over the comment. <laughs> but um, sorry, I, I interrupted you, Ajit. No, no, not at all. I, I was just going to back uh, up what Commissioner Carr said, that I think that one of the things that is unifying in this moment is that what we see happening in Cuba, I mean, transgresses all sorts of values that all of us as Americans uh, or as those who embrace classical liberal ideals of free speech and free expression hold dear. I mean, I don't know if you've mentioned this already, Antonio, or whether listeners have seen it, but I mean, I really encourage people to look at the disturbing video of Dina Starrs, who in the middle of a TV interview, a live interview with the Spanish TV network, her home is raided by the police. And she's taken out in a police car and hauled away. I mean, this, this is the sort of thing that, you know, when we were kids, you might read about happening behind the Iron Curtain and you know, read Vaclav Havel's books about it or you know, Solzhenitsyn and things like that. But to actually see it in a two-minute clip, I mean, it just shocks the conscience to borrow a phrase that comes from Supreme Court jurisprudence. And I think that's one of the things that I would hope anyway would unite Republicans and Democrats, that you know, whoever you are, whatever your politics are, I mean, my gosh, that's this is not right. <laughs> this is just not right. Right. I mean, that's one of the points that I made in, in I had this sort of long rambling uh, piece in the Substack about like, what is what is the sort of media impact of this? Right. Like, again, we live in a world in which an eight minute video, just to cite the George Floyd example, uh, can polarize and create an entire movement and, and move an entire nation. Right. And uh, Cuba's just never had that before. You, you never saw somebody again. It, it was, it's been happening since forever, but you've never seen somebody actually just like picked up and hauled off for doing a YouTube interview with a Spanish, you know, news channel like that is actually illegal to do um, in Cuba. Um, and so just speculating a little bit and thinking forward. And of course, this is just almost beer talk. But like, I, I just don't understand to the extent that you believe that the, the device that we're all holding in our hands, right, has fundamentally changed the way humans relate to each other. I don't understand how how a society is anachronistic and totalitarian as Cuba can survive. I, I just don't understand how it could possibly happen if you're having, if you're seeing the video you just described, who's this famous YouTuber in, in, in Cuba, if you're having that happen every day, which is what you'd have to have happen, or what the government would have to do to maintain itself in the status quo, I don't see how this can persist. And the only thing you could do is in some sense, slow down the rollout of the internet. The Cuban economy is so backwards, it doesn't need it in the same sense that, you know, we would need our, our economy would shut down if we didn't have the internet. So I, I don't know. I don't know if you're willing to, if speculation is something DC people do, but I'm curious what your views are in terms of what happens when this sort of like 
immovable object of the Cuban the Cuban Communist Party meets the like implacable force of of the internet. Do you have any thoughts there? That's a good question. I'll defer to Commissioner Carr since he's in office and uh, he, he's the bigwig in the gr- in the room, so to speak. <laughs> uh, you know, look, I think there's no doubt that you know cell phone video in pictures is an accelerating uh, factor towards change. And to some extent, the phenomenon is not new. I mean, like, what is like one of the very first, you know, uh, sort of things that I remember as a kid was, you know, the, the video of Rodney King and the, the, the power that actually seeing something like that has on you rather than just reading about it and, you know, hearing stories of what takes place in Cuba versus for the very first time uh, seeing it take place visually, it, it, it parts the seas of partisanship. It strikes you between the eyes, right in the heart. And you, you, you have this visceral reaction. We have to do something. I feel solidarity. We need to do something. And the power of the internet is not just, you know, obviously sharing that news out, but that's a huge part of it, but it's, you know, allowing uh, coordination and communication among people that are trying to stand up. And as you've talked about in your piece, uh, the regime is shifting tactics as well. Whereas two days ago, you could spot a lot of the, um, uh, the, the the regime's thugs. They were wearing all black. They have now shifted techniques and they have uh, relatively new but colorful uh, uh, clothes that they're putting themselves on. And yet they still have the earpieces in at the same point in time. So I think um, to your point, you know, look, I, I think there is a, a natural arc of where communist regimes are going to go. I think Internet connectivity, cell phone videos and pictures is going to get us there faster and save lives along the way. And to add to that, I mean, I, I guess the other point I would make, you know, we all know about the power of the immovable or uh, irresistible force of the Internet. I mean, you know, this is a good example that we're hosting this conversation you know, 15 years after Twitter was released uh, to the public you know, this date in 2006. Here we are having this discussion across states and you know, perhaps even countries. Uh, the only thing I don't understand yet fully is you know, how adept is the Cuban government's ability to restrict or uh, you know, control the internet in Cuba. I, I just don't know, for example, you know, do they have the same resources devoted to the project as, uh, say, you know, the, the Chinese Communist Party does, where the, you know, the control is quite stringent, uh, to say the least. And so, you know, I don't know whether there's a you know, sort of a citizen-led uh, effort that can break through in the same way that you might see in other you know, countries in the past. You know, this is an issue that came up today in, uh, in my meeting with USAGM Radio Marti in, in, in uh, Miami. And the position there is that there is not technology as sophisticated uh, in Cuba as there is, say, in communist China. So the ability to get around some of the Internet blockades uh, is easier to do in Cuba than it is in uh, in other places. And as I talked sort of earlier, we got to dual track this. So that first track is infrastructure. We, we talked about one concrete way that that can get done. I think there's many other ways as well. But that second track is how do we help evade the censorship technologies? And I talked earlier about this technology that's publicly known, uh, Siphon, P-S-I-P-H-O-N, that is used to help people get around some of these blocking techniques. So we need to sort of pursue uh, both those tracks. Again, Cuba tries to block and in some ways successfully blocks Radio Marti from a television signal perspective. But part of the issue there is they're trying to provide TV coverage over, you know, Havana, which is the population center. To some extent, the ingenuity of the Cuban people uh, that we were talking about earlier in terms of, you know, physically uh, experiencing the Internet through uh, the transfer of USB drives, even if you're in a situation where you, you have a difficult time getting Internet connectivity into Havana itself, 
you can still take these videos, take their pictures on your phone. Um, and, you know, without moving very far geographically, you can then potentially find a signal. So I'm not of a position that takes the view that Cuba right now has the technology to block uh, sort of a 4G signal. They may be able to, we may get around it. But, you know, there's ways that you can do what you need to do, which is sufficient connectivity to get information in and get these compelling pictures and videos out. Yeah, Commissioner, I think that's exactly right. Um, Cubans always know how to uh, resolver, as they say, which is kind of like literally means resolve, but it's really more of kind of a resourceful life life hack. Um, spe speaking of which, I, I do want to, unless there's some specific agenda item that either Commissioner Carr or Ajit want to get into, I was going to actually bring somebody up on the panel uh, who's Cuban and actually been very involved um, with a lot of what's been going on the past few days. Um, in fact, um, Geek Guano, who's in the audience and I'm going to bring up in a second, he actually hosts a Twitter space like this one, typically late at night with a lot of people actually coming in from Cuba who are often having to VPN in and um, discussing the situation on the island. And it's just so mind-blowing to me that, you know, here we are on the cutting edge of Twitter social audio and uh, albeit haphazardly, albeit with not great connections, you've got Cubans actually tuning in, which is incredible. So let me go ahead and bring up um, Gikuano. And I think I just brought him up. Let's see. Gikuano, can you hear us? Yep, I'm online. Uh, thank you, Antonio. Uh, uh, thank you, Commissioner, uh, Commissioner Char. And thank you, Ajit. For your words, uh, Commissioner, uh, I I had a few questions for you. They're a bit more on the technical side of, of things. So you, um, I don't know how much you really know about the the technology, uh, but if you could answer this, if, uh, if just to clear some doubt that I, that I have. So uh, you you spoke about this uh, balloon technology that it's going to emit a four G signal or or a Wi Fi signal. Uh, over Cuba, and I uh, realistically, I would like to know how much of the uh, how much coverage would this have? Like, would it reach the entire island or just some parts of the island? Uh, and you already spoke about that 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 the Cuban government can try to block it, but realistically, do you think that they have a way to block this? Well, you know, thanks for the question. So again, we've done this at the FCC before uh, in the wake of uh, one of the hurricanes um, in 2017 that came through Puerto Rico. We authorized uh, the deployment of this exact type of technology uh, around Puerto Rico. There were seven to eight of these stratospheric balloons that went up uh, and stayed relatively static over uh, Puerto Rico to provide service. I'm not aware right now of blocking technology that Cuba has to do this, given that this hasn't been done, um, it may be difficult. This may not be something that Cuba has in the can and the ability to uh, uh, purchase and obtain blocking technologies may be a challenge for them as well. So at this point, uh, I'm not aware that there would be um, significant um, successful blocking by Cuba. Is it possible? Yes, of course, because we see that with, with radio marching their television signals. But um, look, again, this is one technology and I've spent time with this particular uh, entity um, their technology has worked and um, they feel confident from a technical perspective this can get done. There's going to be logistical issues getting stuff there, getting stuff set up. Um, but, you know, we need to move quickly with this direction. But again, Secretary Pompeo talked about efforts that were under uh, underway in Iran. So while 
this technology is proven and they're confident in how this would work. I don't want to get too bogged down in the particulars of that because because my sense is, you know, there's going to be other technologies that I'm not aware of, uh, including from DOD or CIA that can also help uh, facilitate this. And again, it's, it's dual track. Let's get more infrastructure in there and let's continue to bolster uh, siphon and other ways of, of getting around the blockades. In fact, I think the latest Internet report, and you may track this better than me, today showed that Cuba was actually lessening some of their blocking today uh, than what they'd done in a couple of days prior. Uh, yeah, so the, the, the VPN definitely helps. Siphon has been very useful, and there's a lot of people in the island using it right now. The problem is that when things get really bad, they just shut down the whole thing, and then the traffic doesn't have a way to go through. Right. And my, you know, you, you asked, my understanding from the Puerto Rico project, if I have the numbers right, is something like, um, there was coverage there to something like 200,000 people with an average speed of 18 megabit per second. So again, you know, uh, when you're talking about getting videos up, getting, getting photos up, you know, that's great. Are you going to get 4k Netflix? Uh, no, but I, you know, I, I think, um, again, at least one technology being proven to do this, um, without necessarily needing, you know, um, satellite dishes in there, but again, I think we should pursue all of it. You know, do we have, you know, satellite yeah. technology that can do it? Let's do it. Can we get some more, you know, Iridium, other cell phones that um, have uh, satellite connections in there? Let's do it. Uh, but the great thing about this is not necessarily needing new infrastructure on the ground. Yeah, I think that's incredible. And I really want to thank you for all the effort that's been done by the, by the federal government to, to push Internet to the island because Internet was the tool that triggered everything. And they're afraid of it. Yeah. So, so, so Gikwano. Yeah. So do you want to address like the speculative question around like, cause you've, from what I understand, you've, you've actually lived in Cuba yourself. So yeah. you understand the reality of it. Do you think, what do you like, does it survive the, all this or, or, or what do you think? I think depending on how fast we move, because we cannot let it die right now. They, the, the momentum requires, um, it, it requires a push from our side, too, because in Cuba, what you're seeing is uh, heavy militarized streets. Uh, right now, someone was messaging me saying that there are security agents on every corner, but they cannot sustain that forever. And eventually, things I'm, I'm sure they're going to move the troops out of the streets and the, the moment will come. The problem is that people right now don't really have a way to organize to do anything because as soon as a person goes out on their own they're stopped they're beating and they're they're beaten and they're arrested so we do need to, i think this would be an amazing tool in our fight for freedom definitely yeah i mean speaking of the people on the corner um i i retweeted somebody from on the island and you see like the dude with you know his scary look and his little mask and his little earpiece. And you can just see him scanning everything. And for those who aren't again, used to what that means, just imagine like that dude or a couple of those dudes literally on every street. corner. Yeah, they're, up. they're watching yeah. everything with dogs. Like yesterday, a friend of mine sent me some pictures from a public part in front of the, in front of the Capitol. And they were sitting with newspapers rolled on their hands and they were hitting sticks inside the newspapers and they were ready for if, if anyone was brave enough 
to to protest and say something that they were going to to beat the shit out of him and i'm sorry for the word um, yeah but yeah that's the that's the reality we live in right now so yeah that's yeah that's the reality and just to freak everybody out and give you a taste of what cuba is like i'd be willing to bet anything that there's someone from cuban state security in this space right now listening and 100 100 between and you and, you and me bet, Cubano, there's no yeah. question <laughs> yeah for sure and, and yeah. you can bet there after our conversation they're gonna be calling their contacts in russia and their contacts in china and they're already we the united states hasn't implemented this internet and they are already trying to find a way to block it right yeah. now as yeah. um so um yeah yeah that's the reality of it unfortunately that's life inside a totalitarian society um they can send our regards to the cuban government please uh in any case uh so yeah what else um do we should we talk about anything else commissioner card that you wanted to get into or or, or mention no, I think we've, we've touched on it. I mean, again, when I when I think about it, there's three pieces that need to, to lock into to place in order to do that. Again, as we've talked a lot about the power of the Internet, you know, one of the greatest U.S. inventions, one of the greatest um, technologies for promoting freedom and free speech. I think we've level set around the power of that and bolstering that uh, in, in Cuba right now. And again, I think there's three pieces of it. There's political will. Uh, once we signal in a bipartisan way at the federal government that we are behind this way of bolstering internet connectivity, then you need the technological capability and you need the funding. Those are the three key pieces. And, and my um, read of the situation now is if we get that first piece done, if we get the political will behind this, the funding's not going to be a challenge. We know there's technical capacity to do this. And so to me, the last couple of days have been through the events that I've done, through events that other people have done, um, about building that political will to say this is technically uh possible to do um, that's not the hurdle the hurdle here is political and saying yeah let's get behind this so i would encourage everyone here to continue to speak about as you have been about the value of bolstering internet connectivity in cuba using the two prongs more infrastructure more strengthening of siphon and other technologies because there's momentum that has built just in the last 24 hours pitbull had a, a video obviously putting forth different ideas including internet connectivity the more we raise the awareness that this is a relatively low-hanging fruit step that would have a big outsized impact in Cuba now and globally as these fights for freedom continue to take place around the world, we need this capacity uh, in our arsenal. So we have to continue to build the strong messaging and public support in favor of doing this because it's not a technological hurdle. It's not a financial hurdle. We just need to pull the ripcord um, and we can come at this in a way, yeah, Cuba's going to try to block it. They're going to do different technologies, but we can't let that deter us from trying to do this and deploying multiple technologies to make their job of shutting down the Internet and keeping the world from seeing the brutal tactics that they're engaging in, to try to prolong uh, what is a dying regime. Um, this is one effective way that we can do it. So, you know, Commissioner Carr, one, so it's interesting you mentioned that you think that the only blocker is really the political will. And I, I know this is slightly politically speculative and, and you're in office, so maybe you'd rather not comment on it. But, you know, my feeling from how, how sort of polarized and I would almost say self-absorbed our political culture is right now, that Cuba presents this bizarre riddle, right? I think, you know, in the context, I'm old enough to remember kind of the final years of the Cold War. And in that context, you know, there was a sort of overarching narrative in which you'd place the Cuba story. And, um, 
And something, you know, the Obama administration also managed to put Cuba on the national radar, right? But it seems like one of the challenges now, other than that, you know, Cuba, for whatever reason, always having some sort of weird cultural cachet or interest to it. Like, how do you justify to the average American in, you know, doing this? Because like, you know, one of, and this is Twitter trolls, so whatever. I don't think this is representative necessarily of that much political opinion. But some people were commenting on sort of like, oh, why don't we get broadband to like Heartland America before worrying about Cuba or whatever. How do you sort of place this in terms of the national political conversation as something that we need to do now? And if it's something you'd rather not comment on because you're in office, I, I, I totally understand. No, I think this is a national interest and national priority to provide um, and boost connectivity in uh, Cuba. We can walk and shoot gum at the same time. We've got uh, a $20 billion uh, initiative we call the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund that uh, Chairman Pai launched that we were in the midst of implementing to bridge the digital divide in rural America. We've got potentially $65 billion additional funding coming from Congress um, to go beyond in an infrastructure package. We've got six to $700 billion that have been allocated by Congress for various infrastructure projects already that could be used for infrastructure. So yeah, we need to get the digital divide closed. We've made, in my view, some people disagree with me, uh, tremendous progress the last three or four years in doing that. We're not raising the mission accomplished flag. But when you look at the hundreds of billions of dollars that we're doing that to the national interest of bridging the digital divide, we are not talking about hundreds of billions of dollars. We're talking about you know millions of dollars, some, some sum in that order, uh, to help boost internet connectivity in, in Cuba. And it would be, you know, the right thing to do from a human right perspective and the right thing to do from our national interest to accelerate uh, the known uh, endpoint for the Cuban regime. Uh, Commissioner, I wanted to ask you a question. Uh, so for, for Cubans in the United States, what can we do to, to get um, the, the political, the will that you were speaking about on our side and try to push this as a bipartisan, uh, with bipartisan support? Do we have to call our representatives? How do we make us, ourselves heard? Uh, how do we say, this is important for us, please back up any initiative that has to do with this? Yeah, all of the above. I mean, look, I, from the time that this got on my radar Tuesday uh, night, as I was heading to the airport to now, and I'm back in, in D.C., uh, you know, I've been running a two-track process here, which is, you know, working with, um, you know, staff and my contacts in uh, Congress, and they are working behind the scenes. Um, so, you know, just us and the hundreds of people listening to this now know, uh, you know, directly with the Biden administration to, um, you know, voice support for this type of a thing. Um, that's one track. I've been also doing public events to, to have it be another way of drawing public attention um, to trying to get um, a critical mass of people around that. So, yeah, we need to talk about it. We need to push it. And at the end of the day, um, you know, this is the Biden administration. So we need stuff from the top to say we're behind this. That's why the development earlier this evening of President Biden himself saying we need to look at or we are looking at boosting Internet service into Cuba is a monumental development in this effort. We've gone from an idea that Governor DeSantis floated on Tuesday afternoon to the president of the United States saying we're looking at this in a matter of, what, 36 hours. So let's keep that momentum going, because if we get a full commitment from the top, um, that's what's going to matter. So, yeah, call, talk, tweet. Um, let's build momentum for this. It's not a partisan idea. You know, I did events today, but also Senator Menendez has talked about it and Biden talked about it. So we just got to keep building that momentum. Commissioner Carr, one thing I'd mention is I, I got a message from somebody on the inside that they were incredibly heartened by uh, Biden's comments and that I think 
um, you know, the perception of the Cubans who are protesting now is that they're doing this on their own, right? And that they're kind of fighting on their own. And the thought that the, the American government would actually try to help support their struggle um, is a, a tremendously, you know, it's a tremendously hardening news. Um, Gikwana, did you want to add something else? Um, I, again, like I said, I don't know if you're going to do the, the Twitter spaces again uh, tonight, but uh, yeah, I found tonight. them fascinating. Are you going to do it again tonight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm doing it every day this week. I might not do it on Saturday night because we will be going to DC. But uh, every 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 other night, uh, I'll be hosting the space, so uh, everyone's more than welcome to join. It'll be at like 11 p.m. Uh, tonight. Uh, I really want to thank uh, Commissioner Carr for everything that's uh, all the effort that he's putting into this. And um, please, whatever comes up, if you guys need help from inside the island in the in the sense of uh, running tests uh, once the the project begins to uh, is deployed, uh, you can you can contact me. You can contact Antonio. We we know people. We have friends there who are more than willing to help uh, to know if, if the test is actually successful. Yeah, like um, like I think I mentioned, Cubans always know how to resolver. And if anyone's going to make <laughs> this weird internet hack work, it's definitely going to be the uh, the Cuban internet geeks. So thanks again, um, Commissioner Carr, for pushing on this. And uh, again, a lot of people on the island are um, are really looking to the administration and uh, are really heartened by the comments today. And 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 your letter today, and also Governor DeSantis's um, post as well. So I think, um, I don't think I have a lot of other questions and I don't want to take up too much time. I know it's late on East Coast time. So I just want to say, I, I want to thank uh, Commissioner Carr, Ajit and uh, Kikuano for uh, speaking. And uh, I hope everyone here learned a little bit about Cuba. Cuba is one of these fascinating topics that uh, is a little bit hard to understand from the outside. But I think um, I have found it heartening that, uh, you know, I've been trying to explain Cuba for the past you know, it's funny, I always used to joke that like I, I moved to the United States for college, which basically meant that I moved from Miami to like the Midwest. And since then, I've been trying to explain the Cuba situation. And um, it's so much easier now. And particularly, with again, with all the images coming out of Cuba, people kind of understand and get what it is now in a way they did in the past. And hopefully we can we can convey that message even uh, more articulately in the future. So thanks again, uh, Commissioner Carr. Um, thanks again, Ajit. Um, I will probably end the room there unless somebody else has anything else to add. Thanks. Thanks for having it. Thanks, awesome. thanks for hosting us. No, no. Thanks again. See y'all. And uh, I'll be posting more Cuba stuff as a total plug. Sorry. Thepollrequest.com. I've been sucked. Somehow Cuba never lets you go. And so I'll be, uh, I'll keep on posting whatever I find. And also my Twitter feed, you know, anything cool that I get from the inside, I tend to post or share. Uh, so please follow me or check out the pull request. In any case, good night all. And uh, it's almost, we couldn't have a Cuba thing without shouting at the end. Viva Cuba Libre, obviously. Long live free Cuba. Bye. Viva Cuba Libre, hermano. Gracias. Hasta luego.